All right, hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of A Whole New Pod, a movie podcast, an exciting brand new movie podcast. I am one of your hosts, Lucas Melby, and with me as always, I don't know if I can really say always since this is going to be our first episode, but with me as always, just in like a life sense, Jacob Telejohn, say hello. Hi there, guys. It's uh, This is going to be fun, and I... Is it going to be fun? Yes, it will be fun. All right. Off to a great start so far. What exactly is a whole new pod, you might be wondering? Well, I think we should start, since it went so well already, we should throw it back over to my man Jacob over here, and let's ask him how this all came about. Um, a few years ago, we we started talking about making a podcast, but at that time, we, we really had no idea, you know, what, what our subject was going to be. Well, I should add that when... He wanted to make a podcast. I asked him what kind of podcast he thought we should make. And what was your response? What was That was basically your response. Because I asked him, well, what kind of podcast do you listen to? And you said... I I don't listen to any podcasts. He did not listen to podcasts. But he said, you want to start a podcast. It it sounded fun. And that is where we are at in this year of our Lord 2018. We came together and we thought, hey... We should make a podcast. Everybody's doing it. Everybody has a podcast. It's the millennial. I've seen this in a tweet. It's the millennial. Hey, we should start a band. Let's start a podcast together. You know, you have a couple of friends or at least in this case, a single friend that you've (laughs) known for a while and you just decide this is a not early midlife crisis kind of thing. Let's start a podcast. So we weren't very musically talented. So this was this is all we had. Yeah. So that's where we were at. Jacob wanted to start a podcast. I felt trepidatious about that for what we kind of just laid out here. So that's where we sat. I didn't think we could really just start uh, like a general pop culture podcast like everybody seems to be making now. So I wanted to have a little bit more of a direction, which I did not have for a while. And that left us in a state of being podcastless, which is probably better for the world, but... We're here. Yeah, we're here. Now. The world, it's all over now. 2018's been a hell of a, hell of a year, and it's just about to get a hell of a lot more. What? Okay. <laughs> uh, so, really, the big inspiration for us in starting this podcast is we watched some YouTube videos, and we came across a Watch Mojo list video. Yeah. The way all good things are started is by watching a Watch Mojo list. And this one was about the best Disney Channel original movies. Uh, we had two initial reactions when we watched it. The first was that this was terrible, which is normally what people feel when they watch a Watch Mojo video. And the second response we had was that we could do this better. Absolutely. We could apply science. Oh, we no, will no. bring our own personal charms and abilities to this. And that is what brought uh, has brought us here to a whole new pod. Our mission statement with this podcast, because we're not just going to do some random bullshit every week, we need clear direction because Jacob doesn't even know what podcasts are. Our journey that we are going to be embarking on is that we are going to be watching every single Disney Channel original movie in release order. And we'll see where it goes from there. There's a lot of them. There's a lot to get through. Will we create our own best list? Will we rank them scientifically? That sounds like a lot of work, so we probably won't do that, but we got to take a first step as we are right here. So enough preamble for now. We'll, I think in some future episodes, we can maybe dive into our relationships with the Disney Channel original filmography and just our relationship 
with each other, with Disney overall. We'll get into all sorts of fun stuff. But with that being said, let's get into our first movie. So the very first Disney Channel original movie released on October 25th, 1997, which so happens to be the day we were recording this podcast. Thursday, October 25th, 2018. Yes, that was very naturally said because this is the day we were recording. Uh, and that makes this the 21st anniversary of this movie. And what movie did we watch, Jacob? Under Wraps. Under Wraps. Uh, a good family fun movie about mummies and learning a little bit more about yourself. A coming-of-age film, as some people might say. To say the least. So, let's just get right into it. We're going to hit the beat-by-beats, give us, give you our observations about the movie, and just have a fun time all together, I think. So, beginning first shot, we have a very fun opening title sequence. We have uh, a mummy, unra- mummy hands unwrapping the title actors. And, and, and stop motion. Yeah, some stop motion. Some some little snakes, some little spiders. Good first impression, I will say. And I think overall I was pretty surprised by the quality of this movie. But good first impression, they, they're putting their money in the budget. They're putting their good foot forward. They're trying to make these Disney Channel original movies a real thing. I don't know if they did that pan out for them. Did they make more of these movies? Absolutely. There's hundreds more. Swing and a miss on that joke there, everybody. All right. So, after the title sequence, we start, uh, as some people might say, in media res. We're in the middle of the action of a weird dinner between this family. What were they talking about at this dinner? There, they were talking about monsters. And uh, one of the, the, main, the main dad, the, the, the movie dad, um, was actually the father from the Even Stevens show, if you ended up watching that, which probably came out, you know, four or five years later. I, I don't know if it was... Filmed around the the time that this movie came out in '97, but yeah, I think uh, I think there's an even Stevens original movie somewhere in our future, probably. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's a I think his name was Chris or Tom Virtue or something. He was an actor I recognize. I think he's kind of a a character actor that shows up in these minor roles. But this beginning was a little astonishing, just because it was very. It was, you know, it was cheaply shot, but it also seemed to go from zero to 60 very quickly because after this dinner is broken up, they're sending this kid off to bed who's very scared of monsters. A monster breaks through the dining, the kitchen window, grabs the dad. and Who has dropped a knife. Yes, very Into the garbage disposal. Very important point. He drops a kitchen, a very sharp kitchen knife into the garbage disposal, face up. And then this... Rattling around. This creepy zombie monster reaches through the window and seemingly pulling him down onto this knife and of course this is not actually the movie under wraps this is the characters watching it in a movie theater so we're introduced to our two two of our three main characters uh gilbert who we're introduced to as kind of the wussy friend he is squeezing the leg of his friend Marshall, Marshall, who is definitely the cool friend of the two of them. And the movie they were watching is called was called Warthead Four: A Day in the Country, which is I don't know. I haven't seen Warthead one through three, but that seems kind of like a confusing 
subtitle for what, it. What we do know is there are Nazis in this in this film. They they do they do hint at that. So it's a Nazi zombie movie from from what we're led to believe. I think you're getting a little twisted actually. Uh that Gilbert brings up Nazis, but that is when he's talking about one of his favorite movies, Sound of Music, because he doesn't like horror movies because it is well established very quickly that he is a wussy friend. He's, you know, got glasses. He's just kind of a nerd overall. And Marshall seems pretty down on him. So they're leaving the movie, walking home, when suddenly a car pulls out in front of them, almost kills them on the spot. And we find out that this car belongs to Mr. Kubot, who is the very classic scary neighbor who also lives in a scary house. What's and what's Gilbert's relation to Mr. Kubot? Gilbert is the paperboy who hasn't been paid in well over two years, and it's it's Marshall's idea um, to try to get that payment finally. Yeah, Marshall's a good friend. He's trying to get Gilbert what's his get get that paper. Marshall is that paper paper. Marshall is all about the hustle. He is in that everyday struggle. He's about to get that bling bling for his boy Gilbert. So they approach Gilbert's or uh yeah, Gilbert's employer, Mr. Kubot's house to try to collect and then they are greeted by Mr. Kubot and a very scary dog and uh the dog is on a chain leash. Chases the kids out, reaches the end of the leash, and then the kids run away. They rush home, running the whole way, where then we meet Marshall's mom and... Stepdad. Not quite yet stepdad, but boyfriend, Ted. Ted. How much does Ted suck, Jacob? Ted's Ted sucks just about as as how tall he is. Ted is a very big He's man, a very tall man, uh, and that is a fact that is mentioned later in the movie. Pretty that, lame, ice cream loving. Yeah, he just wants to talk and eat ice cream with Marshall. Like, what a dick! Oh my <laughs> god, I can't believe his mom likes him. So. That's kind of the, where the night ends. Ted wants to talk about Warthead 4, A Day in the Country, with mm-hmm. Marshall. And Marshall tells him to fuck right off <laughs> with his rocky road. Uh, so then the next day, Gilbert and Marshall meet back up at lunch. And then we're introduced to, of course, the other you know, classic character archetype, the single girl in this trio, uh, Amy. Uh, Amy. Amy, she's a pretty cool girl, too. She definitely is more on the martial side of being cool than the geeky side of... A tomboy, if you will. Yes, she is definitely a tomboy-type character. Uh, and Amy just comes out and tells them that Mr. Kubot is dead. And both of them are like, what? We saw him alive just last Saturday. Yeah, so yeah, I guess it's not quite the next day. It's a couple of days later, so it's not immediate. But yes, apparently Mr. Kubot had died just a couple of days ago. And Amy knows this because her mom's a realtor. And she is selling Mr. Kubot's house. Somebody had seen him lying on the ground of an apparent heart attack with pancake batter splattered everywhere. And Gilbert uh, mistakenly believes this to be how he died was from the pancake batter. Because Gilbert is a nerd and he's an idiot. Uh... But somebody had told Amy or one of them that Mr. Kubot had a lot of cool stuff in his basement and in his house because I guess he was a museum curator. That's the the plot point given for why he has all of this stuff. Somebody had seen a, a coffin in, in the basement. Yes. That's what it was. So that sparks some interest in the kids and they're eventually going to be 
exploring uh, Mr. Kubot's house, but we also just get some fun banter with them at lunch. They're, you know, talking about kids stuff like peaches and how they don't like them because they're hard. You just got to suck on them a while and then they're okay. That was Amy's advice. I, a little, little subtextual. I don't know what the Disney uh, writers were getting at there. It's a little weird. Also, they look to be canned peaches and I don't think I've ever had a hard canned hard. peach in my life. Yeah. So that was a little bit odd. And then we also find out about Gilbert's mom, who is apparently quite the creep uh, and collects a lot of dolls. Dolls. Lots of dolls. Lots of Victorian dolls. And apparently she has brought them to the movies. Bought and, them popcorn. Yes, which Gilbert made sure to tell us was just one time. Just once. Just once. Take it easy. She's an okay mom. She's only done that one time. So uh, we cut to that night where the kids are all sneaking up to Kubat's house, who... see. It didn't seem like the night before that he lived on a massive lot, but they're just in, like, the weeds. There's a big field all around his house. It seemed kind of weird. Uh, and they're going, trying to get through the basement window, because that's how you always sneak into a creepy old house, as you go through the basement window. But they were having a little bit of trouble getting into there as well. Um, it took all three of them to open up that window, because there was a bookshelf. Yes, there was a bookshelf conveniently placed next to the... Next to the window, uh, kind of blocking it, and as they're pushing it through, they eventually break through, but they almost lose Gilbert in the process and hold on to him by his feet, as if they were bullying him, but not, you know, I'm sure Gilbert's used to that position, somebody shaking him down for his lunch money, but, so Gilbert is there, hanging through this window, and they ask him what he sees, and what does he see? He sees some staircases, he sees some, some old furniture... But most importantly, a sarcophagus. A very King Tut-looking sarcophagus. Almost probably exactly like the actual King Tut sarcophagus. That had actually been knocked open from when the bookcase had fallen over. Yes, and reaching out of it was a mummy-looking hand. Which, Gilbert, being the wimp that he is, scares him greatly. And he's like, get me out, get me out! So they pull him up, and in the process... Of pulling him up, he loses his glasses, which he does not notice until they have run about a block and a half away. So, Marshall, being the good, cool friend he is, says, we're going to go back and get your glasses. Gilbert, kind of breaking with the the trope of the scared glasses friend, does not say, I can't can't see without my glasses. My mom's going to kill me. Gilbert is fine. He's made his made his peace. He says, you know, I don't need my glasses anymore. I think I'm seeing better. But Marshall says, nah, dog, we're going to get your glasses back. So they head back to Kubot's house. And while they're heading back, we get a shot back with the mummy's hand sticking out of the coffin or sarcophagus, to use the technical term. The mummy's hand is hit by some moonlight, which, like any good mummy story, does what? Comes to life. Yes, that's apparently how mummies work. I Watching this movie, I found that I don't really know much about the lore of mummies. You know, werewolves, you shoot them with silver bullets. Vampires, stick them in the heart. Garlic. Vampires have so much stuff. Vampires, there's so much lore, but it is kind of tricky. Whereas, like, they can come into your house, but actually they need to be invited sometimes. They can't have a reflection. Sometimes silver's good against them. I don't know. We're getting off track. But apparently mummies, everybody should know, this mummies come to life in the moonlight. Then when our characters, our heroes are coming back, 
they are able to just enter through the front door because... Amy's mom had the key the whole time. Yeah, and I'm with Gilbert, whose response was basically, What the fuck, Amy? Why would you do this to us? Because it wasn't fun, Gilbert. Yes, that that's what Amy and Marshall agree on, is it's not fun to, you know, risk your friend falling on his head and dying in the basement of some dead guy's house. Because Marshall and, and Amy, they're cool, cool kids. So they enter into the house, and it's very a classically creepy house. There's cobwebs, there's... Big throne kind of chair that Gilbert actually sits down into. He doesn't want to explore too much while Amy and Marshall um, head to the basement. Yeah, they head down to the basement. There's no electricity because... because it's about, a- <laughs> like, his paper doesn't pay for, for his electric bill. Yeah, that's actually a good point. So, yeah, they have a big flashlight. They're heading down into the basement. And while they're down there, they're not really finding anything. They don't find this hand that scared Gilbert so much. Empty sarcophagus. But as Jacob mentioned, Gilbert is chilling up on the main floor, sitting on a big throne, which ends up scaring him because it has a gargoyle peeking out from the top of it. And all of a sudden, there starts to be some rumbling, some shaking, and Gilbert, in classic form, starts freaking out. And then he gets scared by... His friends who are coming up from the basement. He gets scared by Marshall and Amy because they're bad friends and they are always sneaking up on him. But right when they are reunited, the mummy just busts right out of... So he was wrestling around with the lock, but then he just destroys the lock, but then just destroys the whole door. Kicks it right down. So it's... You brought up a good point where... do they have doorknobs in ancient Egypt? Because he seemed to... He, 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 there's a lot of things throughout the movie that he understands how to use, like like doorknobs. He was jiggling it and trying to open it, but... Yeah, he seems to be a very smart mummy, which I question being the fact... I don't think he should have a brain. I think that's how mummies work, is they lose their organs. We'll, we'll address some other troubling issues with his physiology and biology soon, but... He busts out and it starts chasing them around the house. Yeah. They close up in a room and then, because it's so odd with mummies, the lore with them, but apparently mummies have super strength because he just busts through the fucking right wall, the wall. Like, like the goddamn Kool-Aid man or something. Oh, yeah. And it should be noted here that you thought you thought the mummy looked pretty good. I, I I got a good mummy vibe from him. I mean, better than just, you know, toilet paper. He, he had a spooky-looking face, and he had the mummy so walk down. You see the spooky face. I think he looked dumb as hell. I thought that was a dumb face, but, you better know, toilet paper. it's hard to do a bad mummy. You know, you ideally are covering up most of his body. Yes, it was not toilet paper. They were believable, dirty bandages, but I think he was a, he has a derpy face. I think we can say that. Yeah. Uh, but as he's chasing them, something very weird happens. He has to go tinkle. Yes. He is distracted by a toilet, which again is problematic because I, you know, you hear about the, the Romans having indoor plumbing. Don't hear anything about Not the Egyptians. Do they have modern plumbing? I don't, I don't think so. Yes. But apparently he knows about doorknobs and toilets. So he goes in and takes... An uncomfortably long piss. Very excessive. Yes. Moaning and groaning. Yes. It was quite satisfying for him. Gilbert comments as if, you know, kind of stating the obvious, but 
he tells us that the mummy really needed to go. And, you know, I can't disagree with that. Uh, so then the mummy seems to be sated a little bit. He comes out of the bathroom and then is just kind of very inquisitive. He first lifts Gilbert up very, you know, almost not, they don't strangle kids in Disney movies, but it's, you know, by like the collar of his shirt. But he gives Gilbert back his glasses. And while this is all happening, Marshall's watch just conveniently goes off and scares the mummy. But then Marshall, seeing a, a good moment to show off his fucking sick watch. This watch, he shows off. It's got, it's got a, you know, basic function. It's got time. It's got a calendar. It, it must have been a Casio. That's all it's I could. It's got a calendar. It looks like it's got a full keyboard on something. I think he said it had the day planner. Something about appointments. He wanted to show him his appointments. You can probably play games on it. I'm sure Doom would be able to run on it because that runs on everything. So, and Marshall, you know, seeing a bit of camaraderie with the mummy, enjoying his watch, decides to keep him. Those are his exact words. Is I want to keep him. Not can we keep him, mom? It's just I want to keep him. And what was the reason why he wanted to keep him? He was afraid that he was going to get cut up like E.T. Like E.T. Great reference. Love that reference. Yes, I always enjoy when lesser movies reference very good movies. And then it just reminds you that you could be watching a different movie that's better than the (laughs) one you're currently watching. And my question was, if Marshall's so worried about the mummy getting cut up, what does he think happens? How does he think a mummy becomes? Because when somebody is mummified, they're cut up, they get their organs and stuff taken out. So it's like, that's kind of par for the course for the mummies. And there's definitely a connection between Marshall and the mummy. The the more they talk, it seems, it seems the more the mummy can, can understand them. And at one point, you know, when they're leaving, he actually gives them the good old thumbs up. Yeah, very... Very painfully. Very Terminator like, to, true. like... Just giving the good old thumbs up to him. And at this point, I have written my notes. The mummy is the father figure. We have it established that Marshall is very lonely because his parents divorced. And now Ted is ruining his fucking life Ted. with his Rocky Road ice cream. So what you, we'll get into it a little bit later on. But I definitely saw the direction it was going in with him being the father figure. So... They just leave him in the house and are, you know, they're going to come back there the next day. So they meet back up at school where probably one of my favorite scenes happens where they're just at their lockers hanging out. Uh, I think talking shit about Gilbert's mom and her dolls a bit more. When Amy is approached by, I think, at least my one of my favorite characters in the movie, Todd. Who had a, who had a crush on Amy. Todd was a little goofy boy um, and Amy was acting like quite the... Yes, Amy shuts Todd the fuck down. She says, you ain't getting none of this. And she tells them, yeah, he's got a big crush on me, but he saw the old, that Olsen's twin movie like two times. So (laughs) fuck right off, Todd. Which, you know, this movie was made in 1997, so kind of peak uh, fandom for the Olsen twins. And I, Find that it's interesting for Disney to kind of have some beef with the Olsen twins because they're not, you know, they're not Mouseketeers or anything. They are not child actors of Disney's creation. So I'm sure they felt a little envious of all the money that they were making. So we get a little bit more banter between the kids and some more confusing monster lore comes up. 
where they're trying to debate if mummies eat people. But Amy says that zombies eat people, not mummies. Mummies are kind of just big and smell and... Apparently, that's, that's, about that's it. it. They come to life in the moonlight and... That's all that there really is about them. And and banshees are scarecrows. Yes, Gilbert asks, what are the things that chop off your head? Which I wouldn't have been able to answer anything very specifically, but without missing a beat, Marshall says, those are banshees. And yes, banshees, according to Under Wraps, are like scarecrows, except... More aggressive. Yeah, I, I don't know. That really took me aback there. Uh, I think they kind of need to get some of their monster mythologies checked out. And to try to get some more info, they head to another one of my favorite characters, Bruce. The bookstore guy. Yes, who runs the, you know, every every small town has a, a creepy bookstore owner. Uh, Bruce's shop is called, I think, Forbidden Books or something along those lines. He's a larger fellow. He's got glasses. He's he, very... He greets them in... in... Bruce, Bruce Formy, he's walking in. As they walk in, he walks out pretending like he'd just been stabbed in the back. And um, he's got some chicken bones sticking out of him, which Marshall clearly enjoys. Yep. Marshall sees right through it. He says, ah, Bruce, you mother, mother effer. You ain't getting one over on me, you old dog. Uh, we should establish that uh, main characters in this movie, I think, are about 12 years old. Bruce is probably in his early 30s. As I said, he's a very large fellow, pretty sweaty looking, uh, definitely an odd pairing overall. Uh, but he has uh, a collection of very old books, very occult, arcane tomes that he flips through when they ask him about mummies. So we had already established, apparently, that uh, mummies come to life in the moonlight. Bruce reiterates this. And the other thing is there some mention of a festival of the dead that is an arbitrary timeline that the mummy needs to be returned to his crypt before then. Or he'll turn to dust. Yes, he'll a lose... A pillar his, of dust. He'll, he'll lose his soul, turn to dust, and that's bad. And that's probably why there aren't that many mummies out there because they all just get hit by random moonlight and then turn into dust. Uh, the... Marshall and the gang interpret this Festival of the Dead to mean Halloween, which conveniently or unfortunately, I don't know, is very soon. Uh, and they're very concerned about the mummy losing his life or his undead life. It's very confusing. Why they even care so much about the mummy is also a bit of a confusing thing. But they know they need to get this done by Halloween. They need to get him back to his coffin. So they're heading back to Kubat's house to meet back up with the mummy and I guess just try to put him back in his coffin. Uh, when they actually do meet my real favorite character of the mm. movie, Leonard. How would you describe Leonard? Leonard's just your, your typical five-year-old Linus type carrying around a blanket, but he didn't call it a blanket. He called it a rag. Yes, I wrote down in my notes that Leonard is Linus mixed with Pigpen because he is a dirty-looking little boy. Uh, and yes, Amy ridicules him for his blanket, which he says is a rig that he keeps around for when he needs to wipe up stuff. And he also offers to pick his scab, that he has a yeah. scab on his elbow, and he offers to pick his scab for them. So he's a, an immediately likable character. Uh... Yeah, I just, I was, 
hit with a lot with him and really taken aback by just the odd characteristics they gave him. <laughs> but Leonard tells them that the house, Kubat's house, had been completely cleaned up and unloaded, which seems like quite the task from what we saw of it the night before. It was loaded with a bunch of stuff and completely covered with cobwebs. But everything had been unloaded and taken away as uh, Amy's mom was inside the realtor showing off the house to a couple and kind of just annoyed with the kids there. So then who who else is important in this movie? The mummy, of course. Where is the mummy? Dairy Freeze. Yes, we see him at the Disney knockoff the Disney Channel original movie cinematic universe version of Dairy Queen uh Dairy Freeze where you know he just has kind of an innate ability to figure out how things work so he happens across the drive through he hits i guess you know learning an educational movie you learn about how drive through windows work or at least used to work where there's a pressure pad that cars would drive over so then the attendants would know when somebody's there so the mummy is standing on that, so he's getting uh, the rundown from the attendant at the window, asking him what he wants, and and he's responding, and she's seemingly un- understanding exactly what he wants. And by responding, he is just going, <laughs> which reminds me of an old Jim Gaffigan bit where uh, he, Jim Gaffigan, a comedian that I like quite a bit, uh, comments about how. We used to have menu items and then we'd reduce those down to numbered items on a menu and eventually we'll just get to where we can grunt and the cashier should know what we (laughs) want. And that is definitely the case here because she completely understands what he wants. He orders a couple cheeseburgers. A a big drink. Yes. He'd got a regular, but he upgraded it. Yes. Uh, An upgraded orange soda. So he... Orders all this, and apparently his total is only three seventy four for all this food. For what he yeah ordered, I mean, hey, nineteen ninety seven money here. What a time to be alive! But he walks past the window. His drink is sitting out for him, and he takes the drink without paying, which just dumbfounds the attendant. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I couldn't quite remember what she said. It wasn't super notable, but yeah, she was just like, okay. <laughs> Uh, so he takes his drink and just goes on his merry way and he figures out as he's a very intelligent zombie or sorry, I used the Z word, did not mean to, you know, use such a a monster slur against him. Uh, he's a very intelligent mummy despite not having a brain where he immediately figures out how to use the straw. Yeah. Drink his soda, which... Like his piss before. I mean, maybe he's done this before and that's why he needed to piss so much. But he was quite taken with the soda. He burps and mm-hmm. seems... Really enjoyed that. Yeah, almost orgasmic, a bit <laughs> of a burp. Uh, he is kind of just waltzing around in the park where there's some kids dressed up. And he is... Shots are fired at him from a kid who says he is really ugly uh, and his this child's mom reprimands him and says, that's not nice. Some people are just special. He must be really special. Yes, that is a kid's response. That kid, bring in the heat. Pure fire, that kid. And after he leaves the park, the mummy finds another, or not another, he finds a bandaged man, which he mistakes for a mummy. It's yeah. a little... 
odd to think that there's a chance that this happens enough where mummies come back to life and then see other mummies that he would even know what to look for. But he gets very excited to see this bandaged man who is sitting in front of the hospital in a wheelchair, but then he gets wheeled back into the hospital by some nurses. I didn't really understand that if it's, you know... He just got dropped off. Yeah, he got dropped off looking like that, or his family didn't come to pick him up or something. So he follows him into the hospital, and then we get a little bit of a comedic bit that you called immediately as he was entering in. We, we had seen him standing in front of a sliding sliding door, and um, as, as the door closed, I said, he's, he's got to be stuck in that. And sure enough, he was as he started to walk forward, his bandages started to unravel. Yeah, he was stuck in it, but it seemed to have been... A uh, very, a uh, very little consequence. He did not seem to be getting more naked. He was stretching very far, and it was blocking people's way. But nobody seemed to care. If he had to get very far into the hospital before anybody even seemed to notice what was happening, he annoys some charge nurse that thought he was trying to visit somebody. He gets hurt. He messes around with a clipboard or something. Hurts his fingers. His fingers. And then the nurse finally looks at him, screams, and runs off. Like I don't know, if, did we see her again? No, I'm, she, I don't think we did. I don't think she was too uh, important of a character. But she screams, which alerts. Finally, it seems you know the mass hypnosis went away. Everybody wakes up and sees the that, burn victim. Yeah, not that there's a fucking mummy there. They mistake him for a burn victim. And uh, one really great line was that uh, a doctor said it looks like he he treated himself. <laughs> that he just. Wrapped himself in all of these bandages and came into the hospital. And so they throw him on a bed and then they're confused because he doesn't have a pulse. He's clearly alive though, but he doesn't have a pulse. So then they begin to defibrillate him. Uh, Which seems, you know, at first glance it's like, okay, they defibrillate him once, but then he still doesn't have a pulse. So then the doctor's like, let's do it again and seems really into it. Holds it onto him for a very long time, which I just think is fairly irresponsible. You know, Hippocratic oath and all do no harm that this doctor sees this guy who clearly is moving and seemingly alive and then defibrillates him to the point where his bandages are burning. He's on fire. In this chaos, he he gets out of the hospital. He runs out and it should be mentioned at this time, we get a couple of scenes Certainly less impactful and important than uh, the mummy getting defibrillated, but the kids are searching for the mummy on their bikes, as kids do, very Goonies-like, riding around town. And as the mummy escapes from the hospital, they come across him and try to hide him from the nurses or orderlies or whoever is chasing him down. They sneak him back to Marshall's house because, you know, Marshall... Is, there's no better place to hide away this mummy than my house. His mom gets immediately suspicious, and Marshall... It's a very classic movie thing where, you know, I'm trying to think of times where kids are trying to hide something from their parents, but they always barely just miss seeing the thing that the kid is hiding, and then they're just leaning up against the wall very very nonchalant, fake nonchalantly, and that's what happens here. So they sneak him up into... Marshall's room, which is a very cool room. Very cool. A lot of movie props and um, actually call back to Warthead. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's a huge Warthead fan. He'd he's a Wart. The- you could call him a Warthead head. Warthaholic? <laughs> he's got the bed sheets, everything. Yeah, he's got bed sheets. He's got a replica just 
I don't know. Life size. It's not even, you know, a cardboard cutout. It's just a statue, rubber statue or something of Warthead in his room, which scares the mummy, which causes a bit of a commotion, makes some noises to then have uh, his mom come up to the room to investigate to see what is going on because she's hearing all this noise. And this is another one of my favorite moments in the movie because this kind of thing happens all the time where, you know, the kids are trying to hide. Here, I just thought of one. E.T. They're trying to hide E.T. from their parents and they have to concoct some explanation for what's going on. And what does Marshall say was the cause of the noise? Amy was teaching them how to clog. Yes, he said we were clogging and then makes Amy clog on the spot. Which I guess she does a believable job because the mom seems pretty bad. impressed. I don't know clogging myself, but that that was a that was quite the moment where best excuse you could ever come up with for making a lot of noise is clogging. That's what I'll use when anybody's a neighbor or somebody's like, "What? What are you making all that noise up there for?" And I'll, Yo, I'm practicing my clogs. We're doing some river dance up here. While this is happening, the mummy is hanging right out, right behind the mom. He's posing just as Wardhead, you know, as a, as a statue. Yeah, so his mom turns around, scared, and says, Oh, wow, that's really lifelike. When did you get this one? Which seemed very confusing and odd to me that this mummy, who looks to be at least like six feet tall, he is, you know, roughly they- twice the size of Marshall and his friends, and the mom just asks, Oh, did you get this? Not like, how did you get this? Because I am your mother and assumingly I would have had to help you get this up to your room or I don't, apparently Marshall has just paid some movers to get this. It could this. have been Ted. We don't know. Yeah, Ted. You really just kill the mood just like Ted. Uh, yeah, so she sees the mummy, doesn't think anything of it. Uh, and then while they're discussing what their next move should be and what they should actually call the mummy, uh, the mummy gets to eating Marshall's goldfish, which Marshall is not happy about, tells him to spit it up, which I found to be quite a gross moment, actually. <laughs> it was, yeah, I was not into it. Uh, but they, during this discussion, after they have saved the goldfish, they decide to call the mummy Harold. Harold. Marshall throws that out because the mummy looks like his uncle Harold. Which fucking shots fired a herald there. Jeez, dead man walking, I guess. Uh, and after being told to spit out the goldfish, uh, Harold, who we not to be, remember the mummy is Harold now. Harold. He is a person. We're not going to call him a mummy. He's certainly not a zombie anymore. It's Harold from here on out. Harold finds a boombox that is just perched precariously on top of the goldfish tank. So, I mean, good see, location. Good it stuff. seems like if Harold didn't eat one of the goldfish that eventually they were going to die from electrocution by the boombox falling in. But Harold is messing around with this boombox and then all by myself starts playing. And uh, Amy is immediately disgusted. She's like, oh, my God, this is such a lame song. But Harold, he's all about Harold's it. into it. Re- he won't let Marshall turn off the boombox. And then we start to find out that the song is playing because Marshall really likes this song because his life sucks. He's super emo. He's 90s emo before emo. I don't know when emo exactly was a thing, but this seems like proto emo where his parents are divorced. Ted's a fucking dick. So he's just, he's all by himself, but not anymore because he has Harold. 
So they kind of go their separate ways. Marshall tucks himself into bed, tells Harold to just chill out. And then we cut to a very big plot reveal where we find out that Kubot is not even dead and that he is also a gangster of Part some of kind. Mob. Yeah, he's been... He's doing some kind of sketchy activity. And I think this this is one of those things where in 90s kids movies, there always had to be, you know, some kind of gangster or mob, mob connection yeah. Yeah. or some kind of jewel thief <laughs> or some of the both. Uh, a movie that uh, Jacob and I had watched recently for various different reasons was Airbud Spikes Back, mm. which was the one, if you're not familiar with, the one where Airbud is a beach volleyball player. And that one, seemingly for no reason, has a subplot about jewel thieves. So that informs my understanding of kids' movies from the 90s and Under Wraps just seems to push that further. So that's really all we get from Kubot right now is we know he's got some kind of plan going on. He seems to be some kind of gangster, but we don't know anymore right now. Uh, Marshall, we get a little bit of a scene of just him one-on-one with Harold. And he dishes hardcore on the state of marriage in America. Not a fan. He says love does not exist. Nobody stays together anymore because marriage is a sham. And he came off as definitely some kind of like conservative Christian commentator or felt like a Fox News segment or something. The war on Christmas and the state of marriage is in shambles right now. So then they go to sleep. uh, And then we find out that mummies don't sleep. They don't sleep. He's been sleeping the last 3,000 years. Why would he need any more shut Yeah, apparently Moe's asleep the whole time until they get hit with moonlight and then they're like on speed or something and they just can't fall asleep. They're just cranking hardcore. Uh, And then we get to see Harold, the mummy, get up to a little bit of hijinks. He finds some different toys in Harold's room. Not Harold's, uh, Marshall's room. room. Uh, A classic 90s toy, a koosh ball. Like like with like a slingshot kind of kind of thing. Yeah, it? some kind of slingshot contraption for a koosh ball, which another you know Jacob basically just calling all the beats of this movie. Shoots shoots the koosh ball right out the open window naturally. Here I am impressed, and I have to remember that apparently he's seen this movie at some point. So maybe Under Wraps has made such an impression on him it's just buried deep into his subconscious. Five year old self, all about this film. So yes, Jacob called it. Kushball goes out of the window and Harold follows it out. Apparently not making that much noise because I don't, I, earlier in the movie, I don't even remember him making that much noise. And the mom was like on it like that. Like, what are you kids up to? Sneaks out of the house in the dark. No problem. He gets outside and finds that the Kushball, well, he finds the Kushball, but it's in, he's in a bit of a bind. My dog Skip had picked it up. Yes, or you also said he looked a bit like Wishbone, too. Wishbone. Yeah, this very vicious-looking dog, who we find out from his doghouse is named Fang, is holding the koosh ball in his mouth. Get a get a little bit of a, you know... Chase scene. Yeah, feel like you should Fang. have the, the Benny Hill theme playing. Like, what do 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 uh, He chases him around, eventually is holding the koosh ball and dangling the dog from it. And the dog just will not let go. He's named Fang for a reason. Starts violently shaking the dog. He's all over the place. Yeah, I felt a little uncomfortable. That was a little aggressive. 
That went on for 10 seconds too long. Yeah, it was, a, it was kind of intense. And while this happens, uh, in, during this chase, another great uh, sequence was Harold just steps onto his skateboard and is... Tony Hawk. Yeah, he... For 1997. He, for having not skateboarded at all in his life or never seen a skateboard, he was better at skateboarding than I ever was. Doorknobs drive through skateboards what 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 can Harold do yes he was just completely balanced he did run into a stop sign but you know I would have fallen off before that even uh and then yes as he's dangling the dog from the koosh ball he sees a bus pass by and on the bus is plastered some kind of you know ad, exhibit yeah an ad ex- I have raw yeah some kind of Egyptian looking symbol advertising the mummy pyramid exhibit at the local museum so harold follows the bus which i guess he's a very intelligent mummy he assumes is going to the museum it's late at night nobody's around nobody's even on this bus uh and then marshall wakes up to find harold is not there so he rounds up the whole gang gets gilbert and amy don't exactly know what time it is Seems late. Well after 8.30. Yeah, nobody is around, but they they get Gilbert. Gilbert is in his pajamas, which uh, Amy roasts. Roasting pretty hard on that. Yeah, she digs right into him. Did we see the actual design? Do we know what was on the pajamas? No. If they were Marshalls, I would assume it would be Warthead, but I don't know. Maybe there's like dolls on his. Definitely footy pajamas. Yes. That's what Amy was saying. They were footy pajamas. And then indignantly but i feel justifiedly uh gilbert says well you must have embarrassing pajamas too which i can relate to uh there was i'm you know we'll get into some of my disney fandom but i'm a disney fan and halloween christmas i like those as well so i'm a big fan of the nightmare before christmas and my parents knew that and the nightmare before christmas is an interesting property where it's a good movie. I think undeniably it's a very good movie, but the fans of it are fucking terrible. <laughs> you know, the hot topic people buying all that kind of merchandise. They're very it's very much a Rick and Morty situation where the fans are so bad that they kind of make you dislike the actual thing. But knowing this, my parents got me some Jack Skellington Nightmare Before Christmas pajamas, which I did not like very much. I'm not really a pajama wearing person myself, but I wore out of love for my parents and I was also made fun of for them. So I get really late to Gilbert and then take this story a little bit further. The next year or so, at some point my parents got me a Jack Skellington Snuggie for Christmas. And I, that one I had to come out and say, this is a road too fucking far. We're drawing a line in the sand here. I'm not, you know, if I felt like Ralphie in a Christmas story that, the Jack Skellington Snuggie was my pink bunny costume. So, but yes, getting back to Gilbert's pajamas, Gilbert indignantly responds, well, you must have embarrassing pajamas too to Amy. And Amy, without missing a beat, says, no, I sleep in the nude. The nude. Again, she is 12 years old and Gilbert is, does Taking a little, back. he does a little he bit crashes. of, yeah, he does a, whoa, 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 what? And crashes into a mailbox. You know, it would not have been weird if his eyes just rolled back in his head and he howled at the moon and steam came out of his ears. That was about how he responded. So that was just weird because, again, these are about 12-year-old characters and this was just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Another uncomfortable moment for, yeah. <laughs> for me to be watching. Yeah. Uh, so they 
I don't even really understand. I, I mean, maybe you picked up on how they knew. I, 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 about. To go to the museum? Yeah, they, they just, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe they saw an ad too, but they just seem to think, let's go to the museum. That's where Harold is. And they're right. He is at the museum. He had broken broken in through the door. I I I'd originally wondered how the kids got into the museum, but okay. I, I think they went through the door that he had broken down because when that police officer you know came up, he was saying that yeah, because I yeah it seemed the kids got into the museum very easily, and I was yeah they just nonchalantly walk into this museum, and I'm like, well that seemed easy, and they find Harold in there, but yes, I guess he must have busted through the door. So Harold's in the the Egypt exhibit area. His coffin, or, yeah, I, I, no, it's not his coffin, uh, but he comes across another sarcophagus that he opens up, and then we get a pretty lady mummy in yes, there. His lover. You can tell she's a lady because she has eyeshadow on, peeking through. 3,000 years. Yes, it's very, you know, may, maybe she was born with it, maybe she was buried with it, maybe it's Maybelline. But very, you know... Try to, well, I was going to say, you can cry on it as much as you want, but I don't think she shouldn't have any fluids in her anyways, but if they would get up there. I don't know. We're getting off base. But as you mentioned, a cop happens across uh, the broken down door and immediately calls for backup, which I seem to think was a little excessive, but they hear that the cop is coming in. But before that happens, they, I don't know, read some kind of exhibit information Basically find out that Harold is some kind of high priest who is mummified and that he loved a female mummy, the one that we have in there, but it was a secret because he was a priest, so he wasn't supposed to love. I don't know. I don't really care. But mummy lore. Yes. I, the deep background of Harold, because I'm going to I'm gonna level with you right now. I don't think this is a very historically accurate movie. I was quite surprised how all the artifacts were just kind of just open, like like the sarcophagus that the, the lady mummy was in. It wasn't in a glass case or anything. Harold was just able to open it yes, right up. Yes, that is a good point. It was just within touching reach, and he completely opens it. It's not vacuum sealed or anything. Like, mummies are well-preserved, but they're not so well-preserved that they can just be, like, in open air for too long. Yeah, the mummy's just there. Again, I don't think it's historically accurate that just random girl mummy or random high priest mummy i thought that was mostly a pharaoh thing whatever uh they hear the police coming in so they just escape into the air vents as you do no detection no problem a nice bit of a moment was uh jacob pointed out the cop comes in a museum either no gun drawn or just no gun at all and you know we wax nostalgically for a different time with different police officers Mm. Then they get back to Marshall's house again, where, uh, yeah, I think it's actually just, no, it just cuts to the next day. They're in the air vent, and then it's just the next day. Ah, they got out fine. Not a big deal. Uh, You know, plot convenience. And Amy is starting to question how attached Marshall is getting to Harold. And that's when I'm like, ding, 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 father figure with a mummy. It's a little weird, but that's, uh, this is how it is. And Marshall just says, you know, I do care about Harold a lot because he knows that Harold's counting on them to, I don't know, make him not turn into a pillar of salt salt or dust or whatever. And then our boy, plot device Leonard, shows up Leonard. just randomly, drops in and tells them that he saw a coffin in like an ice cream truck or something. Don't ask the guy for ice cream because he will not give it to yeah. you. Yeah. 
don't ask the guy for ice cream and then also don't ask Leonard what was written on the coffin because Leonard can't read. He's five. He's got his reg to worry about. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sure if they were going to go in like, oh, he can't read hieroglyphics. No, Leonard just can't read. Uh, I don't know also if Leonard has a home or a family because he looks <laughs> like Pigpen. He's just wandering around the neighborhood, busting into people's backyards to, you know, drop some exposition on them. So... They kind of put two and two together, you know, the ice cream being sold and Leonard says it was a yellow truck. So then they're like, oh, that is Aaron's ice cream. And apparently Aaron's ice cream, I don't know if it's still running or what, but that they have a warehouse somewhere on the outskirts of town where they either make ice cream or house their trucks or something. I don't know. But before they go there, they need to set up Harold to be a little incognito. So they take him to, well, they don't take him to a store. They go to a store and they slam money on the counter and ask the clerk for clothes, lots of clothes and big cheap clothes. clothes. Yes, cheap, cheap clothes, clothes and big clothes. Because that's how stores work. You don't pick out what you want. You just go up and say, I want big clothes that are cheap. I, I believe um, Marshall and Gilbert threw down some nickels and dimes, but... Amy came through with the dollar-dollar bills, y'all. Yes. I don't think they threw up a lot, but they got a full outfit for Harold. And I would say he... You could best describe him as looking a little like disco stew or a pimp. He looked very much like, if you're familiar with the Godfather character from old WWF, that's kind of what he looked like. Or like Scooby-Doo when he dresses up in the live-action movie. And I, yes, the that, cultural, that cultural touchstone, uh-huh. the live-action Scooby-Doo movie, which I generally try my best not to think about. But yes. My first thought. I, some, in some dark recess of my brain, I, that does ring a bell for me about the live-action Scooby-Doo movie. Uh, so yes, they track him down to the warehouse. They get there. It's a bit of a hijinks, you know they're riding bikes so i don't know harold steals some little girl's bike yeah. uh, i was disappointed that there wasn't some kind of uh, dress-up montage with harold where he's trying on different hats been fun that was really you know the one cliche this movie was missing that would have really sent it over the top so that was a little disappointing but they get to the warehouse and the they hit a wall literally that is preventing them from getting inside so, taking like a line from uh, Gimli and the Two Towers, uh, Marshall, I don't know if he quite asked Harold to toss him, but Harold tosses him. 30 feet, had to have been at least 30 feet over this wall. Yes, and Amy and Gilbert are understandably quite distressed by this action and are calling for Marshall, who does not respond immediately. So, we start to fear the worst, but no. Amy, Amy's hitting on um, good old Harold. It was, it was a trying time. What? <laughs> you, you, you remember, like, Amy was hitting on Harold's leg? Oh, okay. She was very upset. Uh, I interpreted that differently. I'm like, we were watching a different movie. <laughs> You're delving into underwraps slash fiction there. Uh, yes, she was very mad and punching or slapping Harold, not, you know, trying to get a little, <laughs> get a little something going on. Uh, so, I think, yes, Harold... I don't know how he got over the wall, but he sneaks into the warehouse with Marshall. And then that's where they see Mr. Kubot. Alive. Yeah, so this is the first time that Marshall has seen Mr. Kubot alive, so he's surprised. 
And we find Mr. Kuba talking to some of his goons, some of his gangster goons, and is telling them, find me my mummy. I need my mummy in time for a deal with the buyer who is buying these artifacts and paintings that Kubat has in this warehouse. So Marshall sees this is a bad situation. He needs to get out. He sees that Harold's coffin is there, but he doesn't really know. You know, he's starting to formulate a plan, but he needs to get out of there to begin with to start it off. And as they're leaving, Harold leaves behind a piece of his wrapping. Mm-hmm. It gets stuck on a pipe or something. And then as they're getting out, Harold throws him over the wall again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, he's got Harold uh, Marshall's, you know, he's a movie kid. He's got he's, he's fine. He, he lands on like a mattress, it looked like or, or something, something soft caught his caught his landing there. And they ride off on their bikes. While they're riding away, there's some gangster on lookout duty or something in the warehouse. And sees these kids riding away on bikes. And then also a mummy. Big mummy. And then he goes and reports to Kubat being like, uh, dog, you don't know what I just saw. You won't believe it. But then also then Kubat finds the wrapping. So it's like... Try me, bitch. I know exactly what happened. Well, yeah, I, but it just seemed odd. Like, they're obviously looking for a mummy. And if the gangster was like, I saw a mummy, Kuba would be like, no, I don't believe you. But the fact that he had this rapper to look at, he's like, no, you're right. So to execute this plan, they, the kids need to go to the one adult with at least some responsibilities. Good old Brucey. Yes. And the monster knowledge. So they go to find Bruce at a Halloween party. Uh, we have a really great moment where. Gilbert shows up dressed in a costume and none of the others really have costumes. He has kind of feather boa and sunglasses and, you know, maybe a little like homophobic like leanings or whatever. Amy makes fun of him and he says that he is he's Dennis Rodman. And you know what? I don't know a lot about Dennis Rodman, but I feel like for the time that is an accurate and also actually kind of a decent costume. They leave Gilbert, a.k.a. Dennis Rodman. AKA, you know, member of NWO, probably in the Wrestling Hall of Fame, whatever. Him and, uh. Harold. Yeah, him and Harold are left out on lookout duty, which is probably my favorite pairing of characters in the movie. Mm. Gilbert gets thirsty and goes to get them drinks. Uh, so that was kind of a fun moment. So Amy and Marshall are going inside to try to find Bruce. And then while they're going in, they happen across Marshall's mom and Ted! Ted! They're dressed as a king and queen, and they're dancing, and oh my god, it's just the worst. Marshall's not a fan. And then Amy says, well, uh, Marshall, if you want to just talk about Ted sometime, I'm here. Yeah. To, I'm here for you. So this kind of just this love pairing between Marshall and Amy mostly seems to come out of nowhere and just has to fulfill, you know, they got to tick that box for, you know, it's a movie, so there has to be some kind of love interest. But that uh, develops pretty quickly in these... We're probably in like the last half hour or so of the movie here. Harold, though, is drawn into the party uh, while on his own because Gilbert's getting them drinks by the song All By Myself, Mm -hmm. which, you know, they paid for the license. They might as well play it a couple of times in the movie. But for a Halloween party, even just a party in general, but a Halloween party, I don't know why they're playing all by myself. It doesn't really seem like a cool party song, but definitely Her- a downer. Harold knows it. Uh, he associates that with Marshall or makes him feel good. So he goes inside 
and he happens across a woman dressed as Cleopatra or some kind of woman pharaoh. And he's into her. She's into him. They start dancing. We get a little bit of a fun couple cases of mistaken identity. Gilbert's looking for... Harold. Yeah, Harold to give him his Snapple that he got from the pop machine. And then he sees... uh what Bandage seems, man. Yeah, he seems... With, Mummy. He thinks to be Harold drinking a beer or something and <laughs> says, what do you think you're doing? I don't care if you're undead. You should not be drinking. And elbows him in the gut super <laughs> hard. hard. Yeah. Yes. And then, it, of course, it's not Harold. And it turns out to be the principal mm-hmm. of the school who has not been shown in any part of the movie thus far. So, you know, Gilbert's getting detention for assaulting his principal. Uh, but also there's a mistaken identity with the Cleopatra woman because another woman comes up and thinks that Harold is her husband yeah. who I, oh, turns out to be the principal yeah. and is all like, Oh, hell no, Harold, you two time and son of a bitch. <laughs> but then the principal comes up and then they see what Harold really is and they all scream. And while this is all happening, the party's being infiltrated by some of Kubot's men tracking the kids down to this party to try to reclaim Harold and chaos ensues. People are scared of Harold. There's the gangsters. So then they're taken on a chase through uh, the haunted house. Bruce's haunted house. The haunted house is run by Bruce. He's, you know, making mad cash, $2 a head. $2 a pop. That's nineties money. That's like $20 a head. But Bruce doesn't really believe the kids. He is also kind of just greedy. He just wants to stay at this haunted house, but he kind of gets forced into the situation as they're all running through the haunted house away from the gangsters. They make an escape. Harold sacrifices himself, holds the door closed, stopping the gangsters from chasing after them. And then they all climb into Bruce's hearse because of course, Bruce has a hearse. Um, Class classic Bruce and his hearse and his, you know, sweaty forehead and his, I don't know. I'm sure, you know, his mom, he lives with his mom and like the hearse is passed down to him. I'm sure there's very deep lore to Bruce that we just aren't privy to in this movie, but I would like to see under wraps to Bruce's back, baby. (laughs) So they take the hearse and they go to the gangster's warehouse Again, because because Harold had been taken by them because he's he's losing his um his energy and his his strength. You know, we talked about his his yeah. Crazy this was strength this, this was a plot point that I did not pick up on, but Jacob was on top of where apparently as it gets closer to the midnight, yeah, the midnight of Halloween, Halloween, which is the arbitrary cutoff because this is a movie and we need to have ultimatums and deadlines to meet. That he's losing his powers, so he no longer has the super strength that he had where he was busting through walls at the beginning of the movie. They go to the warehouse, because that is both where they believe Harold to be, as well as his coffin. And they try to formulate a plan, but all they really have to work with is Bruce's hearse full of Halloween props. So, they're all prepared to go in, but Gilbert... Eh, Gilbert. Gilbert. He's too scared, but also a bit of a character development for Marshall where he says, you know what, Harold? Not Harold. Gilbert, it's okay to be scared sometimes. He almost, he should have just like put out his leg for Gilbert to squeeze like in the movie. Uh. (laughs) So Gilbert's left behind, but they move ahead with their plan. And this plan involves uh, Amy distracting a guard with 
not really believable, but at least gruesome enough makeup that, you know, it's a little surprising that it's in a Disney movie where, like, Amy looks like her eye is hanging out of her head. head, Uh, And then the guard's like, oh, oh, oh my God. And then... Good old (laughs) Brucey. Bruce and Marshall set upon him with... uh, Body parts. Yeah, like, rubber body parts, beat the shit out of him. And then Bruce... You know, does a big old belly flop body slam body to slam. him. Because, Yells body slam, I think, while he's doing it. Yeah, too. CD. Like a good wrestler, he telegraphs his move ahead of time, lets the guy know. And it's funny because Bruce is fat. <laughs> That's the joke, is he does a body slam because he's the fat guy. Knocks the guy out cold. Yeah. And then they use some more body part pops uh, with some intestines. Intestines tie him up. Yes, which Bruce seems quite into. <laughs> Then they split up a bit. Marshall goes off to find Harold while Bruce and Amy continue with their plan. Harold is chained up with his arms lifted above his head over a pipe, which was the moment where I'm like, isn't he super strong? And then uh, Jacob had to correct me on that. Uh, So Marshall doesn't really quite know how to get him out. He's trying to like hit it with a crowbar or something. And meanwhile, Bruce and Amy don't really know exactly what the rest of their plan is supposed to be. They had a single match from one of their pockets and Bruce was climbing up to try to put it next to a a fire detector or one of the sprinklers to try to get that to go off. It didn't. Bruce uh, breaks the pipe because he's fat. He's a big old fat fatty. Ha 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 ha. Come on, Disney. You're better than this. And knocks over a bunch of... Aaron's ice cream buckets. Yes. Ice cream cartons. They're empty. Unfortunately. This does not look like a sanitary or a health code approved environment to be making that. Knocks them over. The guards, the gangsters are all like, huh, did you hear that right now? Uh, they go over, round them up. Uh, Amy and, and yeah, Bruce. Yeah, round up Amy and Bruce. Marshall is able to get Harold loose, but then Kubot confronts him and reveals his dastardly masterful plan mm. like any good villain. Marshall says, why did you do all of this? And he tells him I, that he was stealing stuff from the museum that I do believe he was a curator at and that he was going to sell it, but the feds were on him, but not any feds. The, the IRS. Yes, the IRS was on him for back taxes and they were investigating him. So he had to fake his death to get the IRS off his tail so then he could do this the legal, I don't know, museum deal with this he sounded like eastern european or whatever so i love this i love this so much it's the dumbest fucking thing dumbest plan for any kind of villain i think i've heard but it's so great so then amy and uh harold not harold well yeah amy bruce harold marshall they're all brought together and kubat's like Haha, I got you all now. But then Gilbert comes rushing through in the, the hearse, hearse, breaking through the wall, overcomes his fear, completing his character arc, and he provides a distraction. And during this distraction, somehow Harold is like above them and drops a bunch of pipes on like very big pipes onto the gangsters. I think maybe some of them died because they seem very big. I never, never saw them again. Yeah. The only person we saw that got up was Kubot. Yeah. Who then pulls a gun on them. And it's like, well, this is getting serious. 
And Marshall, with really nothing to base us on, says, he won't shoot us, which seems completely insane. Marshall doesn't know anything about Kubot, except that he's apparently a crazy old man who pulled off this dumb scheme, which is also crazy. So it's not like there was any, like, you know, connection or character flaw where he would think, no, he won't shoot us. But no, it seemed he cocks the gun and it looks like he's about to shoot them. But then Harold is able to knock the gun away with chains. Yeah, the chains he was tied up with. And then he throws Kubot, and the end, we don't see Kubot. He hits his head and probably dies. <laughs> we don't see Kubot again. We don't get to hear, oh, I got away with it. If it wasn't for you meddling kids, this that's the end of Kubot. And that's almost the end of the movie. They they go back to the museum. Uh, Harold wakes up his mummy girlfriend. With the moonlight. Yeah, for, with the moonlight. Only apparently, I think, because it's Halloween night, that she needs to go back to sleep immediately. Like in two minutes. Harold is almost setting her up to die, lose (laughs) her soul forever. But, you know, they have a little bit of a nice moment, and Marshall seems very jealous of this. He's all, you know, you know, bros before hoes, dog. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Harold is getting your coffin. (laughs) So he gets him in his coffin. Before he goes, uh, Harold reveals that him and his mummy girlfriend have matching amulets. He takes the pretty amulet off, gives it to Marshall. Nice uh, father-son moment. Mm-hmm. You know, very uh, kind of a, a T2, as I alluded to earlier. Kind of thumbs up from Arnold Schwarzenegger falling into the molten lava. I, I think it was at that moment, too, that Marshall really had an understanding for the idea of love. Yes. That, that's when it really or at least that's happened. what the movie would watch it. when it really happened. Uh, so Harold says his goodbyes. To all of them, Gilbert, oh, I'll miss you. That's not Harold saying that. Gilbert's saying that to him, Amy. And then Bruce is there. And it's like, Bruce doesn't really have a connection to Harold. And Bruce kind of can tell that. Yeah, so it's a little awkward, but I it was a fun moment. And then we come to the final scene where we see Marshall up in his room. And he's packing up all of his cool horror stuff. Bye-bye, Warthead. Yeah, I guess being with a real monster made him think that the fake monster stuff wasn't so cool. I don't know. I'm losing a lot of faith and confidence in Marshall. He, you know, I'm Gilbert is shooting at the top of my rankings right yeah. now. Uh, and then Marshall's mom comes in and is like, why are you packing up all your stuff? And I, he, I don't really remember if he gives a good reason why he's, I've outgrown it. Yeah. Dude, you're 12 years old. Okay. And then he just comes out and says, Hey mom, do you really love him? And she's dead. Who do you mean? Ted! Ted. And she says, yeah, he's a really great guy. And then Marshall says, you know what? You marry him. Yes. You marry him. You're meant for each other. Marry Ted! Ted. I somehow, my my, my, my <laughs> mommy and his mommy girlfriend renewed my faith in love. love. And even if this is your second marriage, you know what? It's not a sham. I believe in you. Marry that bad. Ted. Cherish that Ted. But then he says, tell him to lighten up and not be so nice, which is not how I would interpret lighten up. Tell him to lighten up and be a bit more of a dick. <laughs> you know, I want to see the edge of Ted. That's yeah. In uh, in unwrapped to Bruce's back, baby. I wanted to be a buddy kind of movie between Bruce and Ted. And then like Leonard and Todd are in there too. <laughs> like the real cool characters oh. of the movie. We don't need no Amy. We don't need no Gilbert. Yeah. We don't need no Marshall. So Gilbert. Well, we'll, we'll keep Gilbert. I, Gilbert. Gilbert. Gilbert's kind of my. He's my guy. Uh, Gilbert comes up because you know 
you just, you know, we all had those friends that we were just allowed to bust into their house without being invited or anything. So he busts in and says, hey, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Hey, Amy's coming over. And the marshal is all like, oh, oh my God, how do I look? Oh, it's got to get all hair, hair you know, did. Slapping on some cologne. cologne. Yeah. Swiping back his hair, putting on a flannel. I think he tucks it in. It's just not a good look. He's not really pulling it off. No. And then he goes and opens the door, and it's a little awkward with between him and Amy. And Gilbert is just looking because they're like, "Hello," and she's like, "Hi." And then Gilbert's like, "Huh, huh, huh, huh." <laughs> and then uh, Marshall compliments uh, Amy on her dress, says, "That's a nice dress." And it looks like one my aunt was buried in. Oh, that's right. Marshall's back. He ain't getting none of those girl cooties. He's playing you for fools. And Gilbert's like, oh, thank God. Bros before hoes, right? They nucks. Some of that maybe didn't happen. But they're all friends again. They're all going to the movie. Bonded over a mummy. And they go see Warthead for... for fourth time. Uh, let me remember. Warthead a for a, a day in the country. <laughs> because they're all they're all Warthead heads. And I imagine that Gilbert finally is able to watch it and not need to grab Dying. anybody's leg. But maybe maybe he's grabbing Amy's Ooh. leg. Ooh. Ooh. The, the drama between them also covered in uh, Under Wraps 2, Bruce's Back, <laughs> baby. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know that maybe that was a little bit rambling, but that that was under wraps off to a good start with these original Disney Channel original movies or as you wanted to label them DCOMs. DCOMs. But I found out on the Disney Channel website that they already called them DCOMs, uh. so we can still call them DCOMs because Disney Channel original movies is a fucking mouthful. <laughs> but yeah, I think we're off to this was a lot more enjoyable than I thought it was. Yeah. I think there's definitely eras to Disney Channel original movies. Yeah. We're probably in the era that will appeal to us more because, you know, we maybe have some... We grew up and we have some connection. Yeah, some, some of the movies, you know, I, I like I said, I've seen. We'll have but, some nostalgia for them. Yeah. And then we'll hit the High School Musical ones. Uh, and then all the movies will be musicals after, after that. that. So yeah. that will be the dark period for us. Yeah. But, yeah, so this has been... A whole new pod. Uh, I'm Lucas Melby. And I'm Jacob Telejohn. Uh, you can find us. Uh, let's see. We can plug stuff on Twitter. I'm Lucas Melby. No space or anything. Jacob underscore Telejohn. And soon I'll, I'll be setting up a Facebook page and a Twitter where you can follow us. We'll plug that next next episode. Yeah. So, again, we're a whole new pod. We'll you know find us on iTunes for sure. We'll just have you stay tuned for where we end up. You know, it'll take some time. Before, you know, maybe we'll put it up on YouTube or Spotify, Google Play, all that Stitcher. I don't know. People listen to podcasts in all sorts of places. So we'll sort that shit out. Uh, and I'll leave it to you, Jacob. Give us a good sign off. Final thought for the week or however long this will be. All right. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> this has been a whole new pod. See you guys around. If I don't talk to you. Good morning, good afternoon, and good No, night. it's over! <laughs>
You enjoy that shit, bro. It's good shit. Tight. I like fudge.